0: This will always be my home church. I haven't lived in Dillon full time since I graduated high school in 1994. But I was born here just a couple blocks away in what used to be called St. Eugene Hospital. And I was raised in this church. I went to vacation Bible school here, I sang in the youth choir, I went to R.A.'s, and I played basketball on the, on, on the what is now a parking lot, and, and, and there's so much that God has done in my life through this church. I was saved in this room. And I remember when it happened, it was on the last day of vacation Bible school, and I was sitting in that first pew right there, because I was one of the kids in the processional that came down, and I held the Bible for the pledges, and when you held one of the flags or you held the Bible, you sat in the front row, and I remember... A man named Reverend Fred Brown, and he was standing right here at the bottom of these steps, and he gave an invitation that if you want to follow Christ as your Savior and Lord, you come forward. I was saved in this room responding to that invitation. I was baptized in this room. I remember when I came after I was saved at at Vacation Bible School and and sometime after that during a morning worship service, I walked down the aisle during the Sunday morning invitation to tell Reverend Brown that I had given my heart to Christ. Of course, he already knew it because he counseled me during VBS. But I was announcing to the church that I, I wanted to be baptized. And, and I remember walking down the aisle and Reverend Brown taking me by the hand and, and saying in his preacherly voice, How are you coming this morning? And I said, Well, my parents drove me here in the station wagon. No, 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 what what decision are are you making? I was ordained in this room to the gospel ministry, and I remember the men uh, coming by and laying their hands on my shoulders and praying for me, and I just saw one after another of these godly men who had been deacons and teachers and, and volunteers in this church, and it was such a moving experience. And and coming here brings back so many memories. And I think about the men and the women who invested themselves in my life. And so many of them no longer live in this town. And many of them no longer live on this earth. But all that they showed me and all that they taught me lives on in my heart today. And so I want that to be an encouragement to those of you who volunteer with Awana or volunteer with the youth or you work in the nursery and you wonder if it makes any difference, I tell you it made a difference in my life and I'm here today because of how God worked through those people. Let that be an encouragement to you. And thank you for being a church that stands for the gospel of Christ and has done so. For many years I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 12 through 15. I want to tell you that the churches in our area that have participated in this disciple now weekend are well represented by the young people that have come to this event. And I can tell you that they have been been great, they have been enthusiastic, and we've learned so much together. I'm thankful for these young people, and this message is for them, and it's also for you, and it's also for me. We've had a theme this weekend of counterculture, and the question is really, how can we live a godly life in the midst of a culture that is increasingly godless. And so we've talked some about what culture is. We've talked about why culture is important. We've talked about how we can maintain a godly focus in the midst of a godless culture. Today, what I'm going to close out with is a challenge to our youth and a challenge to those of us who are older and a challenge to all of us How can we as Christians thrive in the face of persecution? And we hear the the term culture wars sometimes. I do believe that there is a spiritual war because the Bible tells us that there is. Not just between one type of culture and another type of culture. There is a spiritual war between the gospel of Christ and everything else. Because what Satan wants to do is to offer anything and everything that will distract us from the one thing that can save us, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his cross and his resurrection In that alone. And I will tell you that we are in the midst of a war, not just a cultural war, but a spiritual war like none that we've ever seen. And it's becoming only more difficult. And I think that we as Christians are going to need to know how to deal with persecution. I want to read to you this scripture, and then we're going to unpack it just a little bit. I'm not going to be long this morning, but I have three points that I want to share with you. And I want to talk about three different kinds of people. The first is going to be the kind of person who is persecuted. The second is the kind of person who persecutes others. And then the third is the person who overcomes persecution. Let's look here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 12 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes to his his friend, his son in the faith, Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me pray real quickly. Dear God, I believe that this Bible that we hold in our hands, some of us are reading it on our, our devices, but the words of the Bible are those sacred writings that Paul refers to. And Lord, we believe that they are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, if people don't hear anything else this morning, may they hear your word. May they hear those sacred writings. And may they be made wise for salvation and growth in it. For it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. You know, there is what is called Christianity going around today and and it's a message that I believe would would have been totally foreign to Paul who was writing these words and I I see it so often on television and and see it in the pages of, of books even that are sold in the Christian bookstores and it's a message that goes under the name of Christianity and it's kind of like this that if you would just place your faith in Jesus then God is going to prosper you in every way financially, and everything in your life is going to turn into material blessings, and God is going to make you popular in the eyes of all those around you, and he's going to make everything you do in your career succeed, and you're always going to be healthy, and your loved ones are always going to prevail over whatever challenge is facing them, and it's going to be nothing but happiness after happiness after happiness. On the material level. It's a message that is known sometimes as the prosperity gospel. Or the health and wealth gospel. Well if that's what faith means. If that's what Christianity looks like. Then apparently no one ever told the Apostle Paul. Because he spent a lot of his life in prison. And he spent a lot of his life poor from a financial standpoint. He spent a lot of his life with people hating him and seeking to kill him. And by the way, not only did someone not let Paul know, they didn't let Jesus know either. Because we know how Jesus' ministry on earth ended. It ended with a crown of thorns, and it ended with a cross, and it ended with a tomb, and then it ended with an empty tomb. But Jesus... Face persecution. Paul faced persecution. And what we read in this passage is that as Christians, we should expect to face persecution. See, the health and wealth gospel promises hope, but what it actually does is it leaves a lot of people feeling disillusioned and discouraged. Why? Because they tell you, if you truly have faith in Christ, You're going to get that job. You're going to make more money. You're going to be healed of whatever sickness you have. It's all going to go your way. And so when people place their faith in the Lord and they encounter difficulty and they're sick and they seem to stay sick or they pray for that loved one and they die or they lose their job or they become unpopular and life comes at them hard, what is the conclusion that they walk away with? It must be that I'm either not Truly placing my faith in Christ, or Christ isn't who I thought he was. So they become disillusioned with themselves, or even worse, they become disillusioned with God. And many people have walked away from the faith because that's what they think faith is. Well, if I just place my, my, my heart in the hands of God, he's going to make everything easy and smooth and happy. But if you go and you read, for example, Hebrews chapter 11, which is sometimes called the Hall of Faith we read about a lot of godly men and women who went about destitute on the earth and they lived in caves and they were put to death with the sword and they had all of these horrible things happen to them. And it was not in spite of their faith that these things happened. It was because of their faith that those things happened. It was because of their faith that they were persecuted in that way. And we've got to raise up a generation of Christians that understand that if they're going to live for God, they're going to be persecuted. And we need to teach them how to deal with that. Because the Bible teaches us how to deal with that. And so this morning, the first kind of person that I want to talk to you about is the kind of person who is persecuted. Look at verse 12. Who is the kind of person who is persecuted? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is a promise of Scripture. Now, You can call yourself a Christian and not be persecuted. That's no problem. You can call yourself a Christian and not be persecuted. You can can go to church and not be persecuted. If you're the kind of Christian who says to the world that that being a Christian is about self effort and self-actualization the world is fine with that message if you say that God exists to help you do whatever it is that you want to do and be whatever it is that you want to be and God is there just as kind of your cheerleader and your enabler and you go and you live your best life and God's there to help you out from time to time the world is fine with that kind of message and that kind of Christianity and that kind of church What the world is not fine with is the Christian who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You know, I I think about the example that that Jesus gave us and and, and sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking because I want people to like me. I do. And, And I think, Almost everyone, I would say, really, if I had to guess, I would say that everyone wants people to like them. You know, it always makes me shake my head when I meet people who say, I don't care what other people think. Those are the ones who care the most, all right? Because if you really didn't care what other people think, you wouldn't need to tell me that. The reason you tell me that is because you care what I think. You want me to know that you, that, that, that you don't think you care what other people think. We all want people to like us. I want you to like me as a preacher. I want you to like me as a person. And so I just think, you know, if I can, if I can love people, and if I can be nice enough, and if I can be kind, and if I can live a good life, and, and, and really be the right kind of person, and just be reasonable enough, then everyone around me is going to appreciate me, and like me, and love me, and it's all going to be great. And then I see the example of Jesus in Scripture. Was there ever a person who was more loving than Jesus? No. Was there ever a person who was more kind and forgiving than Christ? No. Was there ever a person more wise and reasonable? Here you have the very epitome of love itself for God is love and here is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ and he's constantly driving people crazy and they hate him and they say that he has a demon and they want to kill him. What sense does that make? Because he demonstrated the type of life that's truly godly and it convicted people about their own sin. Remember there was, there was that time in Jesus' ministry when he was casting out demons and the religious leaders couldn't deny the miracles that Jesus was doing. They could not deny that he was setting people free from de- demonic oppression. And so the conclusion that they came up with was the way that he's able to cast out the demons is because he has a demon himself and he's in league with them. Well, why did they come up with that theory? Because if they admitted that the way that Jesus cast out demons was by the power of God himself, then they would have to acknowledge that the message Jesus was preaching is true. And then if they acknowledged that his message was true, they would have to acknowledge that they were sinners and that they needed to repent. The kind of person who gets persecuted today is the one who desires to live a godly life. You see, when you live your life according to the standards of Scripture, and you're willing to confront other people in love, because love is about telling people the truth, you can't have truth without love, and you can't have love without truth. And when we confront people with the sin in their life that we know is destroying them, It will make them turn on us, not because of who we are, but because of the truth that God is speaking through us. And because we're telling people that Christ is the only way. The world is fine with the message that Christ is a way. Our world loves the message, you do you. If Jesus is your way to God, that's great, but I found another way. But what Jesus himself said is, I am The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And that is a message that our culture will not tolerate. Because our culture's highest good is everybody do what you want to do in the way that is right for you to do it. And for anyone to say, no, there is a narrow way and that way is Christ. That is the message that the world will not hear. They would not hear it during the time of Jesus. They would not hear it during the time of Paul. And they will not hear it today in 2021. And if we are persecuted for the sake of Christ, it will be the same reason that Jesus was persecuted for, the same reason that Paul was persecuted for. And so the question is, am I willing to live that kind of life? Do I desire to be godly in Christ Do I desire to teach the truth of Christ or is my desire to be liked greater? Let's talk about the kind of person who does the persecuting. Look in the next verse, verse 14, or excuse me, verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Sometimes I wonder Are are people today worse than people in the past, or is it that we just see more of it? Because today, we definitely can see more of it, right? Because we have have televisions, and we have 24-hour cable news channels, and now we have uh, our phones that can give us the latest on social media, and we can use our phones to record what is happening around us, in real time, and so we see all of these things playing out live wherever we are, and so if there's a riot someplace or if there is a a crime going on, we just, it's just in our face more than it used to be, and and so I wonder, well, is it that people are actually worse or is it that we're just, just more aware of it? Well, the Bible certainly teaches that people have been sinful from the very beginning and And we see Adam and Eve and the very first murder that happened between brothers. So we know that these things are not new. And yet the scripture tells us here in verse 13 that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. There is a sense that humanity is not evolving morally. If anything, we are devolving. And the Bible says that in the end times, it's going to get even worse. And there are things that 10, 15 years ago, if you had told me this is going to become mainstream, I never would have believed you. I would have said, no, you're being an alarmist, you're being an extremist. And now I see it happening in front of my face. And this letter from Paul to Timothy this is towards the end of Paul's life. It's the last letter we believe that he wrote that we have in Scripture. And if you, if you go and you, you look at all the times that, that Paul mentions suffering or he mentions persecution or he mentions false teaching, if you were to highlight all that in the book of 2 Timothy, you, you would have a very uh, bright book in your Bible because it's written throughout the pages of these chapters. And he's trying to prepare Timothy... For, for things that are going to be even worse than what he went through, and he's trying to make sure Timothy doesn't lose heart. And, and as I get older, and, and I would like to think I'm not by any means an old man yet, but I'm certainly older than I used to be, and I have children that are adults now and children that will soon be adults, and I realize that their life is going to be different than it was for me just a couple de- decades ago as a young person. And then I try to imagine when my children have children, what is it going to be like for my grandchildren? How am I going to prepare them? I think this is kind of what Paul had in mind as he's writing to Timothy. As hard as it was for Paul, he knew that it could be worse for Timothy and those that were in Timothy's generation. And he wanted them to understand the kind of person who would be persecuting them. And I look at the history of America and you know, and how things have changed over the last few hundred years, I think we've seen a progression in America. Very, very early in America's history, even before the Constitution and we had the colonies, you had a situation where Christianity was regulated. There was no separation between Christianity and the government. The government of the colonies in almost every case was some type of Christian government, and they had laws, for example, in Virginia... They had laws that you had to attend church every Sunday morning. And if you did, and if you skipped church on Sunday, you had to become a slave to the colony for a week. If you skipped church a second time, you had to be a slave to the colony for a month. And if you did it a third time, you were a slave for a year and a day. And in Delaware, in the the early 1700s, if you wanted to be governor of Delaware, we have a president, I believe, from Delaware right now. But back then when you were from Delaware, if you were going to be a governor or a state representative or anything, you had to take an oath that you believed in the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that you believed that the Bible was the inspired word of God before you could take that oath of office. A lot has changed since then, has it not? But there was a time when it was regulated. And then we had separation of church and state, and Christianity was no longer uh, uh, regulated but it was celebrated. And we still saw Christianity as something that we ought to aspire to. And it was good. And you know, if you were a Christian person, not, not everybody was. But it was still held in high regard. And, and many of you who are older, maybe you grew up during that time, especially here in the Bible Belt, where not everybody was a Christian, but everybody could at least agree that Christianity was a good thing. And then we came to the point where Christianity was no longer celebrated, but it was at least tolerated. It was at least seen as something neutral. I'm not a Christian, but if you want to be a Christian, that's okay. And then we've entered into, I believe, the the realm where Christianity is relegated to second place status. And and, uh, I know a lot of us here in the South are football fans. In in Europe, football refers to something else. That's, That's what they call soccer. And in their soccer leagues, they have something that's called relegation, which means they've they've got a whole bunch of different soccer leagues. And if you're in the top soccer league, the premier league, the bottom one or two teams at the end of the season, they get relegated to the league that is below them. And then the next year, if they finish in the bottom two of that league, they keep getting relegated down until they're at the very bottom. You know, imagine if we had that like in our sports, like in the NFL, the bottom two teams, like the... The Jaguars and the Falcons, uh, the next year they have to go and play college teams, all right? And then I guess if they are are bad against the college teams, and they'll have to come here to Dillon and play the Wildcats, and they just, you know, and and ultimately maybe uh, Pee Wee League or something, okay? But relegated means you're you're, you're being dropped lower, and I think that's kind of the the realm or the stage that we're in now where Christianity is being relegated to second-class status. You can still be a Christian, but we're going to look down on you. You can still believe in the Bible, but don't expect us to take you seriously. And it's not a far step from that to the next one where they will try to annihilate Christianity. Understand that they will not succeed because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell uh, will not be able to stand against it. I don't care what Satan brings or what culture brings or what the world brings. They are not going to be able to stamp out the church of Jesus Christ. There will always be faithful followers of the Lord until the day that he returns but understand that we and our children and our grandchildren may be in that stage where the government comes against us and it wants to eliminate Christianity altogether and I think we need to be careful in thinking well that will never happen here because there's already been a lot of things that I've said that will never happen here and they've happened and when I read the word of God he says Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, because that's the kind of person who persecutes. And there's a lot that I could say about that, but do you think that there are lies that our culture is telling today? Jamie, I believe you've been preaching a series about gender, all right, about God's design for us, creating us men and women, men and women, in the image of God. I believe that there are lies that our culture is telling us about gender. I believe that there are lies that our culture is telling us about marriage. I believe that there are lies that our culture is telling us about a lot of things, and the reason our culture persecutes us is because it doesn't want to hear the truth. I want to share with you this last thing. The kind of person who overcomes persecution. Verses 14 and 15. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Who is the person who overcomes persecution? It's the person who remembers. And the reason I mentioned to you at the very beginning, the men and women that taught me in RAs and youth and in vacation Bible school, is because those are the types of people that God tells us to remember in his word. Timothy, we know, learned the scriptures from his mother and from his grandmother. Obviously, he also learned it from the Apostle Paul. I think that we need to do a better job as a church, and not just First Baptist Church, but the church in general, of teaching the history of the church. You know, it's shocking, I believe, that Christians today know so little about how we got the Bible and so little about all those Christians who came before us. But when you read the Bible, God is constantly telling people to remember what he has done in their lives and in the lives of their fathers and their grandfathers. We need to remember the witness of others, those that have poured their lives into us. We need one another. And I don't want you to take the wrong Take this the wrong way or misunderstand what I'm saying to you. I I know that during this this COVID pandemic, there have been a lot of tough questions about how we do church. And there may be people that are going to listen to this that are at home and they couldn't be at church. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for that. But what we've seen in the last year is a message that church is non-essential. It's great if you can go. If you can, you know, but if you can't, we don't really need it. That message is absolutely foreign to the Bible. We have this idea today that, well, I can, I can be a Christian quite apart from the church, and I'll have my own relationship with God, and, and, and I can worship God better out in the woods or out on the lake or out on the golf course than I can in church. Listen, you can worship God wherever you are. That's absolutely true. In your school, in your workplace, where you do your hobbies, you can worship God wherever you are. But the Bible teaches us that we are one body. And you can remove a body part, and you can still call that a hand or a foot, but it's not gonna have a lot of life left in it if it's not attached to the body. And the Bible teaches us that we have spiritual gifts. I use mine to encourage you, and you use yours to encourage me, and we need one another. Listen, Christians in the world today who are being persecuted, they understand the power of the body of Christ, and they are willing to walk, crawl, ride a bicycle, do what they've got to do to get to other Christians because they're being persecuted. They know they need one another. And so God tells us in his word, remember those that have poured out the gospel into your life. What God has done in their lives and what he has done through them in yours. You need one another. If you're going to overcome persecution, you cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian. And then the second thing he says is, be the kind of person who remembers not only the witness of others, but the word of God. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes, and if you were to read on, he gives the, the famous passage where he talks about Scripture being breathed by God and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. If all you have to stand on is your own opinion, you're not going to stand very long. If all you have is your own idea of how things should be, you're not going to last. But when you are rooted in the Word of God, and the culture is going to tell you that this book that you hold in your hands, that it is hate speech, that it is antiquated, that it is anti-women, that it is anti-this, it is anti-that. Listen, this is the Word of God, and it teaches us the value of every human being. It teaches us that we were all made in the image of God. And listen, there is no such thing as the worth of an individual apart from the truth that's given in this book. How do you know that every person has worth and value, regardless of what their their gender is or their race or their age or their ability or their disability? How do you know that they have value? Because in God's word, it tells us that they were made in his image. And that he sent his son to die for them. Apart from that, if we just evolved, if we just happened to get here, how do we have more value than anything else that exists in all of creation? But if this word is true, it tells us that there is a God and he is love. And that he made us. And that we belong not just for ourselves, but we belong to exist for his Glory. And if we will hold on to the truth of this book, no matter what the culture tells us, then Jesus says we will have a root. Jesus told a story that there was a farmer sowing some seed and some of that seed fell in a place where the soil was shallow and the plant sprang up, but when the sun came out it died away because it had no root. And he said there are some people that hear the word of God and they receive it with joy but when persecution comes, they wither away because they have not ...any root, either in a congregation of believers or in the Word of God. I'll close with this. There's a book called uh, Silence. It's written by a Japanese man named uh, Shushako Endo. And he writes from a little bit of a different perspective because he's Catholic. But it's a story of persecution in Japan in the 1600s. And there was a time in Japan when missionaries first came there from Portugal that Japan opened its doors to the gospel because they wanted to trade with the Europeans. And so they welcomed the missionaries over. And Christianity had a very favored status within the country of Japan. And the church flourished for a while. But then the warlords realized, we keep having all these missionaries coming over here from Europe, and we're afraid that they're going to undermine our power. So they changed their stance towards Christianity, and they outlawed it. And there was this severe persecution in Japan, and what they would do is they would have these little plates that had an image of the infant Jesus and the Virgin Mary, and they would put this plate on the ground, and they would make the missionaries or the church leaders step on this plate in front of everybody in the village as a visible symbol that they are renouncing Christ. And those that were doing the persecuting said, listen, God knows what's in your heart. You don't have to mean it. You can still believe in Jesus in your heart. Just step on this plate, because they knew if the leaders would do this, it would undermine the hope of all the other villagers, and they would be afraid to to follow Christ. And there was a man in the the church, his name was Kichijiro, and he he kept falling away. He would step on the plate And then he would realize that what he did was wrong and he would come back and he would ask for forgiveness and then he would wilt under the persecution again and he would go back and, and he would step on the plate again. And he says this in the book. He says, why couldn't I have been born 50 years earlier? If I had been born 50 years earlier, I would have been alive during the time that Christianity flourished in Japan and there would have been no persecution and I could have just lived my life as a normal Christian and nobody would have known anything was wrong with my faith. Why do I have to live in this time of persecution? I thought that's a very insightful question. What if he had lived 50 years before? Would his faith have been any stronger or would he just not have had an opportunity to examine the strength of his faith? And it made me think about my faith. You know, I say that I have faith in Christ. I haven't had to live under the type of persecution that a lot of believers in Asia and in Africa and other places have had to live under. What would I have done if somebody held a sword to my neck and said, you have to step on that image of Christ and tell everybody around you that you're announcing him? Is my faith any stronger than Kichijiro's Or is it just that I've had an easier time up until now? It makes me think. I want to be the kind of person who's willing to get persecuted because I have a desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And the only way that I'm going to get to that point is if I'm willing to remember the witness of others and to find strength for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I'm willing to remember the word of god it's hard for our young people going out into the school system that they're in it's hard for us as adults a lot of times going out into the workplaces where we are it's going to be harder every day jesus says it's going to get worse but here's the the good thing the band has been great this whole weekend they sing a song my heart found a surgeon my heart found a friend None of us are able to stand for Christ in our own strength. If we try to do that, we're going to fall. And the good news is when we do fall, we have a God that forgives us again and again and again. But we have to be willing to remember him. We have to be willing to place our faith, not in ourselves, but in him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word And God, the truth is, there's probably none of us that have literally stepped on a plate that had a picture of Jesus on it and said, we renounce Christ. But Jesus, we've all taken steps in our lives that kind of sent the same message. Where we had a chance to stand for you, but we weren't bold enough to do it. Or we knew that there was a line that we shouldn't walk across and that it would be sin and it would hurt ourselves and it would hurt our testimony and yet we did it anyway and we've taken that step not just once, not just twice but many times and yet just as there was forgiveness for Peter just as there was forgiveness for many others in scripture that that fell away and you brought them back there's forgiveness for us Lord I I pray for these young people because they are going out into a world that is increasingly hostile. I pray for us adults, that we would be strong where we are and yet be an example to those who are younger. God, I don't know what everybody's going through at this time, but Lord, I pray that if there's somebody struggling with their faith. if somebody is in that scorching sun that Jesus talked about that threatens to wither the plant, I pray that you would give them grace. Jesus, you hung on a cross taking the stand that we could not take. Winning the victory that we could not win. Rising from the grave. We thank you for the hope that the church is not going to be annihilated no matter what the world may try. And Jesus, even though you were persecuted, that was not the the final note. The final note was your victory. And we look forward to the celebration when you return. The celebration that it will be for believers. Lord, if there's anybody here that will say, I don't want to miss that. Lord, help me to stand when all I can do is fall. Lord, give them grace and give them strength this morning. For us, in your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The band is going to lead us in a time of invitation. This altar's open if you want to come and pray. Jamie's going to be down at the front. He'd be glad to pray.